Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, Karolina Jakovolska is pretty much a force of nature. This conversation I have with her about sobriety and about how she was a quote-unquote gray area drinker who used to detox to retox, and we'll get to all those terms and all that stuff coming up here shortly, answers a lot of questions. For me, I was just curious and I learned so much, but the idea with this conversation is for folks who drop in and listen to this podcast that have questions about, am I an alcoholic? How do I stop drinking? How can I try to stop drinking? This podcast is for you. You don't have to go all the way to the bottom to stop drinking, as she shares with us. She works with women. Uh, She coaches women on how to enjoy an alcohol-free life, and it's very clear she is enjoying her life. She's experienced great success. She's an author. She has a book coming out in January. She's got a podcast. She's a writer. And she has so many interesting things to say. This is a totally stimulating conversation. I usually don't talk to smart people uh, for this long. But she was stuck with me for about an hour. And uh, you guys are really going to enjoy it. I should say smart people usually don't talk to me for that long. But you guys are going to really enjoy it. Um, But first, Kevin Souza. Hello, this is Carolina. Carolina, how you doing? I'm doing good, Pete. How are you? <laughs> good. See, you knew who it was. I did. I figured it out. <laughs> um, so thank you. So by the way, I'm, I apologize. We had to delay till today, but uh, but I'm super pumped to have you. I, I, thank you for taking the time. Oh, no. Thank you so much for arranging it. And it's, a, it's an honor to talk to you today. So thank you. You're in, so you're in sunny San Diego right now? I am, correct. Okay, it's me, you, and Aaron is the producer. He's the only other one you, that, that, could, that could screw this up right now. So, <laughs> All right, so we should be good. Uh, Carolina, oh, by the way, how do you say your last name? Uh, it's Jakovolska, but you don't have to worry about it. So, so Jakovolska? Yes, there you go. That was pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do, I, I do news and stuff and some sports, so I, I'm, I, I'm pretty good with pronunciations. I, I looked at your name. I wasn't going to say it like that. But I, I can usually pick it up after I hear it once. So you've been sober for how long? Uh, almost four years now. Okay, so 2017, your life changed. I, I've been reading about you, and it's so interesting. You said that you, I'm going to bounce all over here, so forgive me in advance. You said you were a gray area drinker. Describe what that Correct. is. You know, so I was so stuck in this relationship with alcohol for, for, you know, years, you know, ever since I was 17 years old and I started drinking at parties in college and I, I drink probably the heaviest I ever drank when I was in college itself. So lots of parties, just no boundaries with it, no responsibilities either. Right. And so it was, it was pretty heavy then. But basically as I started growing up, as I got married, as I started my career, I was like, okay, I can't go out to the bars at 2 a.m. I can't, you know, drink during the week. I just need to tone it down. 
And so I spent so much mental energy just trying to find this elusive balance of the, uh, the right amount of alcohol in my life. And basically I told myself, okay, you only drink on the weekend and you know, you, 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 you do it at normal events, you go to dinner party or sushi night, you know, things like that. And so I spent basically the remainder of my twenties trying to find this moderation illusion where, you know, I was constantly making rules for myself and, you know, not trying to overdrink. And the thing is, is that like I did, I, I drank less and less year after year. And it was at these very, you know, like social drinking events or on the weekend for game night or sushi night or something like that. And it looked normal, right? To any onlooker, it was so normal. It was what everyone else was doing around me. And yet I couldn't shake that feeling that every Monday morning I woke up feeling like crap. Not only did I feel physically unwell because I drank over the weekend, but I also felt so low, so depressed and so stuck in a loop. By the time I was 30 years old, I had become a very health conscious and mindful person. You know, I ate very well. I tried to eat fruits and vegetables. I did meditations. And so what ended up happening is that Monday through Thursday would be this, you know, very productive, very healthy kind of lifestyle. And then alcohol would come in over the weekend and really just deteriorate all of those healthy choices I made during the week. So Monday morning, I woke up feeling so ashamed, you know, if I overdrink over the weekend or just the lethargy that comes with all of that, you know, all of that anxiety that alcohol induces in your body and just the feeling of lowness. And I felt like I was just doing my life wrong. I couldn't figure out, like, how come other people were finding this elusive balance in their life of alcohol in their life, but I wasn't. And so I started obviously looking into, you know, um, alcohol-free people, sober people, and reading their stories. And but How are you doing? Were you, was, going, were you going online or just re- read, reading stuff? Like, like just you know, simple as Googling, was, like, you know, sober? At first, it was some books that I found. And I think that's where I really, you know, that's why I really come to now talking about the sober curiosity and the new alcohol-free movement is some of the books I found were kind of like the OG books, you know, and it was this I had this horrible drinking story, you know, I was heavily addicted. I was drinking every day, all this stuff. And I just couldn't relate to it. I could relate to some of the pain they're talking about, you know, but I think when you're, when you're still in a drinking pattern, you'll find all this evidence around you of people who are worse than you and then say, well, that's not me, right? I don't have that problem, right? And it was so like hard to relate to that. I just couldn't find the solution. I thought, well, if I, you know, stop drinking, am I going to have to have that story? Is everyone going to have to assume that I have, you know, laundry in my closet or something or just these, these stories that they don't want people making up about me? And so I kept not allowing myself to actually explore this lifestyle because I thought that you, you had to, you know, hit rock bottom essentially, right? And I think that's the, the kind of messaging some of us get when, when we're first looking into this. And it really was for me this... Uh, um, what really changed everything was hearing about Dry January. And Dry January is this uh, sober campaign that helps people take a, a you know a month off of alcohol. It doesn't matter who you are. A lot of people do it for health reasons. Some people do it for, you know, obviously want to change their relationship with alcohol. But I was like, oh, like I always wanted to take a break, but it always felt like I had some social occasion on the calendar or something coming up that just wouldn't allow it, you know, and I didn't have the yeah. bravery to think like, I could just not drink at this event. I, I didn't think that way. So dry January came up for me and I was like, finally, I can, I can experiment with this. I can try this. I can take a month off and I don't have to go around explaining it to people. I can just do it. 
And uh, I took this month off and I ended up having one of the best months ever. And I just felt so, so much peace with it. You know, there was no shame. There was no waking up with anxiety. There was just this like coming home to myself. And I did go back to drinking after that in February. And, you know, the contrast of the, the difference in my life was just, so eye-opening like my sleep was just so horrible even after a few drinks I found my mood tanking like I found myself so appreciative and joyful and had so much more gratitude when I was not drinking and then just one or two drinks in I became this frustrated person who was moody and even picking fights with my husband and at that point I was like you know what like this isn't what I thought it was and I uh, I decided to take an, another break which I basically just haven't looked back since you know you mentioned clearly I mean whatever you want to classify it as you're you're a high bottom um, you know person that had a, an issue with drinking and stopped if you even want to call it that uh, so what was it like for you the people around you how did how did they react because we're not talking about we're, we're, they had seen you doing what looked on the surface like well, but clearly inside you were having this in, internal struggle. How did you handle that, the people outside your circle? Or I'm sorry, in Absolutely. your circle. Absolutely. That's a great question. And I, I work with a lot of women who find themselves in this area. And, you know, the way you describe it, we have we have all these different words or terms or whatever it is, but my mission really is to start talking about this in earlier stages so that people don't have to hit rock bottom, right? So that we literally as a society are allowed to talk about this at any stage. And it's so interesting to me that how many people have anxiety, turmoil, insecurity around their relationship with alcohol, even though it looks just fine. And so, you know, one, I, I thought basically when I was going through all of this that I was alone, that I was the only one who thought of it this way. You know, I remember even being at like a, a game night and I would have three beers at this game night. And I, that night I didn't sleep well. I woke up feeling crappy. It just, I just, I hated myself for it. And I looked around, my friends were doing the same exact thing. And I was like, well, they must not have the same effects as me or else why wouldn't they be talking about it? You know, like, why am I the only one going through this? And so that was this thing that I really had going for myself is I thought I was so alone. I thought I was so isolated. I was the only one who woke up at 4 a.m., for example, you know, after a rough night's sleep, after drinking. And that's, I think, the thing that I'm, I'm trying so hard now, you know, as an alcohol-free life coach and author of a book is to say, like, hey, you're not alone. You know, alcohol affects everyone the same way, right? Like, alcohol causes restless sleep. Alcohol causes your decision and judgment center in your brain to go to sleep. You know, there's there's so many scientific things around alcohol that we're just not really taught as a society and it leads to so much shame and loneliness. Yeah. But, you so, know, as I was going through this, um, oh, sorry, just to answer your previous no, no, question, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, you know, like my, my friends didn't necessarily think like, Oh gosh, thank God you finally got help or thank God finally, you know, you're looking at this. They were curious and some of them felt, um, you know, we're just asking questions about it. And I finally got to the stage where I had enough bravery to start talking about it with them and just saying, you know, like I hated how I felt after drinking and, and this, this, this and that. And it started actually after a while, after I was kind of, you know, telling them how amazing I felt now, it started to um, open us up to a deeper vulnerability. Like, oh, we can actually talk about this taboo topic and the subject. And we got closer and some of my friends even got inspired to try their own alcohol free, you know, breaks and journeys. And, um, I really didn't have as much resistance to it because I think a lot of people actually felt really similarly. Yeah, and that gives you the ability 
when you're on the common ground with someone and you're not talking at them, which is clear from talking to you, that that's not something you practice. You can connect with people. For me, I, I'm a 12-step guy. I'm an AA guy. And, and, and I hit, I mean, I just kept digging, you know, bottom after bottom after bottom. So when someone like you comes into an AA meeting and asks me what it was like, I tell them what it was like for me. And, and even outside of meetings, I have so many people that come to me because uh, they're attracted to the sobriety uh, and the quality of life and what they see. But then they say, hey, like, what happened to you? And I tell them, and it's somebody like you, and they can't relate. Uh, and this is why, you, you know, you seems like you're kind of filling up this space. You're creating this space for people where they have a place to go to connect with, with like-minded people who didn't go all the way down. I can't tell you how many people, Carolina, are like – you know, I'm not sure if I have a drinking problem or not. Well, what do you t- what do you tell those people? You know, I think that's the like quintessential question we've been taught to ask ourselves around alcohol, and I don't think it's a helpful question because if you're already asking that question, it's showing that you're unfulfilled. You're not happy. You're not completely with joy over this thing in your life and how it shows up for you. And so, the better question to ask would be: Is this making me happy? Am I fulfilled? Am I confident in my skin? I mean, for example, I'm an introvert and I was really shy growing up. So when I first found alcohol, it was like this magical elixir that helped me, you know, become the life of the party or so I thought. And so what ended up happening is that I would use it as this, uh, you know, false sense of confidence. Anytime I went to a networking event or a party or anything like that, essentially what I did is one, I never learned how to socialize without it, right? I never practiced that skill or that muscle. And two, I was constantly telling my subconscious, you are not enough on your own. You are not interesting. You are not likable. You are not good enough. You need alcohol to be all those things. And so, like, what a common example, let me just sharing with you, like how many teens and, and early kids in their 20s gravitate towards alcohol, you know, to make them more confident at a party or ease social anxiety. That's exactly what I did. Right. Like that's where we all, we all start in a thing. But what ended up happening is it was deteriorating my confidence. It was deteriorating my self-esteem and my self-worth. So the very purpose that I thought why I was drinking didn't like hold up to snuff, right? Like it was actually making me, every time I broke a rule, promise, I deteriorated my self-esteem. I didn't believe that I could even trust myself. Yeah. It's the big lie. I tell people it's the big lie. Alcohol, drugs, it's the big lie that confidence it gives you. It cannot last forever and you can't stay drunk or high forever. And if you do, you're going to ruin your life. So. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, because of that deterioration of self, like, you have to ask yourself the better question, like I said, is does alcohol make me happy? Does it make me aligned with my values? Is it help me give my, get my bigger, bigger dreams? Does it help me be the person I want to be on this planet? And if those questions, you know, have some deeper discontent with them, I think that, you know, I think literally looking at your relationship with alcohol is a service that anyone can do because, I think it's a fallacy. We think that, oh, some people just have these healthy relationships and other people don't. I mean, there's people I know who drink one drink at a time for decades and then all of a sudden in their 50s, right, it, it turns a little more complicated. So it's like, why, like we, we have the same precaution when it comes to cigarette smoking. We have the same precaution when it comes to hard drugs, right? But with alcohol, we, we really don't really talk about it as a society unless you've crossed some kind of imaginary line, right? Yeah. And then you talk about it. So I think, like you said earlier, 
my goal and my mission is to just bring this topic into the mainstream and make it a healthy part of anyone's identity to ask questions about it. Do you, uh, and this is something I'm curious about. Do you get, you know, for you, is it fulfilling to share this message? Because I figure there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who are unsure about where they stand with drinking. And like you said, it's because they haven't hit rock bottom, but they certainly may not feel great about their relationship with drinking. Do you feel uh, so fulfilled when you're able to share this message with other people and have this open dialogue? Oh my gosh, it, this is like the greatest fulfillment of my life, you know? And I, I think that when I'm telling my story, you know, on the surface level, the, the drinking was definitely the, the, the common source of pain and anxiety and all these problems. But I had this pattern that I just shared with you where I was, I was every weekend I, I, I drank, right? And I, it was something I looked forward to. And it was just like, oh, I can't wait for this weekend, right? When I can relax and unwind and party or whatever it was. And I didn't realize how unfulfilled I was during the week. I didn't realize that I was like literally going through the motions in my life and that drinking was the highlight. I mean, come on, you know, what is like sad life, even if it wasn't like rock bottom. And so that was the first answer I had to find out what will actually bring me fulfillment. And so it's not just about removing alcohol from my life, but answering that deeper question, what will give me a fulfilled life? And that's when I started really looking in and, you know, I knew that my career that I was doing before was not what I wanted to be doing. I knew I always wanted to, so I worked in higher ed as a a manager in a a business school. Okay. And I meant to ask you, I meant to ask you, uh, where'd you go to college? I went to UCLA for undergrad and then I went to uh, San Diego State and USD for uh, two graduate degrees. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm always curious about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I found like, you know, I had these dreams when I was younger. I always wanted to be an author. I always wanted to be like work for myself. I always had these, these goals and these ideas of what my life would look like when I was younger, but it seemed like I just gave up on all of them. And so really changing my relationship with alcohol that first year got me back into, uh, really rediscovering what I wanted to do on this planet. And so, you know, to answer your question, I discovered, I wanted to become an alcohol free life coach. I wanted to speak about this publicly. And more, most so, I really wanted to be the, the, the role model that the past version of me was so desperately looking for. I really wanted to talk to her and to talk to the woman behind me and especially who I was, you know, four or five years ago and really talk to her. And so today I work with, you know, women in coaching containers and in courses and I have a new book coming out that's really trying to address that isolation and that pain and that unfulfillment that the previous version of me felt. And the book is coming out early next year, correct? Or sometime next year? Yeah. So it's called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier and More Confident You. And it comes out January 4th and the pre-orders are available. So I'll be sure to share the link with you, but if anyone's interested, you can find it at euphoricbook.com. Yeah. We'll make sure we get that up. Now, I don't want you to give away all the secrets. I want people to buy the book or, or if you're like me, uh, listen to the audio book. Uh, what about solutions to this? What do you tell people ways to stop drinking and be fulfilled? Absolutely. So it's a process, right? This isn't some overnight switch or some black and white kind of a solution. It's definitely a, a month long process, but I think that's what's so cool about when you, when you dive deep into personal growth is that, you know, the, the habit, the, the previous behavior, the patterns that you've fallen into they were years in the making, right? They were decades for, for many people were decades long drinkers as was I too. Right. 
And so it's so cool to think that, okay, I'm not going to change overnight, but maybe it's just going to take a matter of months, you know, maybe four months, six months, right? And it's this journey you're going to go on. And so, you know, some of the things that I like to talk about with, especially people who find themselves in that kind of gray area, is this idea of quitting drinking is so extreme to them and they keep talking themselves out of it. You know, there's always like, well, I'm not that bad or I have this wedding coming up or, you know, whatever it is, they're always talking themselves out of it, even if though they, they do really desire that more simpler lifestyle. So I always recommend for, you know, someone in that, that kind of gray area to start with a break from alcohol because you don't have to decide about what you're going to do 10 years from now. You're just doing this right now. You know, it's just this challenge. You're going to put your heart into it. And instead of just not drinking during that period, which, you know, behavior change is great. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes behavior change by itself can leave a lot of uh, deprivation behind, you know. And so what really the, the crux of it is really going through mindset change and a journey of personal growth to really change fundamentally what you think and believe around alcohol. So you no longer believe that it gives you any benefits or comfort, but fundamentally even subconsciously start to lose your desire. And so I walk my, you know, clients through that process and this process is laid out in the book to really like start questioning, well, why do I like to drink? And really ask myself, do these reasons even hold up? Are they really true? I mean, yeah. For example, I, I thought I liked to drink because it made me more confident, right? But then I really evaluate the night. Okay, so I, 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 I drank more than I wanted to. I had wine teeth. Um, I probably said something that I shouldn't have said. I woke up, you know, feeling groggy. I, I, I didn't feel more confident. Come on, I was so insecure. I was swimming in these insecurities. And I had even embarrassing nights where, like, I drank too much and then died of shame the next day. How does that have anything to do with confidence? You're building and nothing so, as a person, really, exactly. emotionally. But I had, you have to go, like, logically through this exercise to actually show yourself, oh, like, this, this rock, this foundation of how I believed alcohol gave me confidence. It's not actually true. Like, it actually makes me insecure. And then you start reaffirming that new belief, you know. And, you know, another big one is obviously alcohol helps me relax. You know, I have a stressful day. I like to unwind with a glass or whatnot. You know, that one too, is when you look into the science of alcohol, alcohol scientifically, molecularly is tied to stress hormones in our body. So when our, we drink alcohol, it depresses our body, but our body then in response to that releases stress hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin. And so that's why sometimes maybe a few hours later or in the middle of the night, you wake up all startled because oh, yeah. you have all these stress hormones in your body. Yeah, so totally. how is that relaxing? <laughs> right? It's the total opposite. You just injected your body with stress hormones. It's to lie, tied to stress on a molecular level, scientists have proven. So it's these different fallacies that we have around alcohol and changing your mindset around them and completely believing, okay, alcohol doesn't relax me. It doesn't make me more confident. It doesn't help me sleep. And then living that through experience and really garnering that new experience, especially through a break from alcohol, can help someone see, oh, you know, like I thought alcohol was doing these things for me, but it wasn't. And I actually am finding all of the things I really wanted in these other outlets, which then helps someone find well, where do I find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in my life? Because it was never through alcohol. So now let's answer that question, which is so much more exciting. <laughs> what do you say to the person that, that says, I can't do it? Like, for instance, I love what you said. 
And you, were, I guess you were, or you were married uh, and in, in a family, so that unit was there. But for myself, when I got sober, I really had nothing. So I was able to chase my dreams, right? I mean, I didn't have a mortgage payment. I didn't have a wife. Uh, I didn't have a dog at that point in time. Uh, so, and certainly didn't have a job. What would you say to the person that says, hey, Carolina, it's super attractive how you were able to chase your dreams and become fulfilled? Because it really seems to me like that's one of your ways of becoming fulfilled. But I'm this, I'm this housewife who has all these obligations. I just can't change it up like that. What do you tell them? Yeah, well, you know, I think that as humans, we all, all suffer from these self-limiting beliefs where we tell ourselves a story, a story that is not grounded in the truth. You know, like there is always a way. And for someone who's so stuck in this limiting story, you know, I was there too. I mean, let me tell you, I wanted to be an author so badly my whole life. And there was a point where I would, you know, I used to write a lot when I was younger. I would journal, I would write poems, I would write short stories. And it was when I started really drinking in college that it just dried up. And then in my 20s, I had these New Year's resolutions every year this year I'm going to write more, you know, this year I'm going to write more. I never did never as a drinker. Right. I just had the worst writer's block. I had no discipline. And the biggest thing was I believe there was no money in writing. What's the point? I have to pay the mortgage. I have to have a job, you know, all these things. And I, instead of like taking baby steps towards what I really wanted, I literally sat back on the sidelines, jealous and judgmental of other people who were doing it. So I would be this very petty person who was literally criticizing other people who were going after their dreams. Totally. Like the person who's at home and says, okay, I want to start a blog to write about something that I feel strongly about. And you sit on the sidelines and you say, oh, that's so ridiculous. Nobody's reading that blog. Exactly, right? When when you actually do that blog, it builds the self-esteem you're talking about. And it starts to move the needle towards what you're trying to do. Uh, overall. So I, I, that, that is like a moment for me where you said that totally makes sense. Absolutely. You know, and so that's the, that's the life that I lived in. So my own self-limiting beliefs were also telling me all these stories that were really BS. Like there was nothing really stopping me. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now a word from our sponsors. You know, if, if you don't believe there's money in writing, but you still have a job, does it really hurt to just practice to write like an hour or two a week? Does that take away from your ability to make money at your job? Like, of course not, right? We say these self-defeating stories. And so for someone who really feels so self-stuck in a life situation, you know, like no one's asking you to quit your job or quit your identity or lifestyle and move to Nepal for a year, right? It's baby steps. It's literally baby steps, you know? And so if you have a desire to share something where you've learned and overcome a challenge, let's say, and you want to share it with more people, why not start a blog? Just like you said, like that's, that's a small little baby step where someone can get started. If someone wants to maybe write a book, why not start with the practice of writing one hour a week? You know, if someone wants to maybe launch a business, why not start going to, you know, some networking events after work to learn how to do it? Like all of these things are baby steps. But what's so cool is that every baby step is the foundation that keeps like laying a brick by brick by brick down and you keep doing it. And the only secret to it is consistency. Eventually you will build a house, you know? And so that's so cool. Like we, we don't have to talk ourselves over this ledge. Sometimes it's just one baby step. Let me just see what happens if I do the next one and the next one and the next one and really helping people find what they do want. 
I think that's what's really cool about having a challenging relationship with alcohol is that it actually helps you know what you want because you know so vehemently what you don't want anymore. You know that. And so many people in this world have no idea what they want. And here you have this relationship with alcohol that helps teach you, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that. I don't want that. So now let me go on a journey of self-discovery to figure out, well, what does give me meaning? How can I really meet my needs on this planet? How do I do what I really want, you know? Like a bottle of wine is so much easier than sitting down and writing the next great American novel. Yeah. But definitely not as fulfilling. Yeah, it, it absolutely is not. And it, it, this takes me back to the self-esteem thing. You you talk about it, and I want to get to this in a second, but you talk about it. You know, you retox or you detox to retox. Basically, you hit it hard for a weekend. You take the week off. You talked about that earlier. You don't feel fulfilled during the week. You go through the motions, and then you drink again. Like That is just completely debilitating to somebody's self-esteem. And in, on, the, on the inside, right, you don't have to be a train wreck on the outside to have very low self-esteem. So when you stop doing this stuff, you know, telling yourself lies, like I'll only have one, or if I go out, I'll drink, I'll, you know, I won't drink much, or whatever it is that kind of beats you down. What tell people what you found? Uh, I love how you write six months sober, you know, or, or six months without alcohol. You really started to feel the changes. What did you find when you started to build your self esteem with that repetition? Oh gosh, I think that was like one of the greatest epiphanies I had is how much confidence it was building in myself because this is my Achilles heel. I always let myself down with it. I always break my promises. You know, I always break my rules. It's something that I just can't figure out in my life. And that's the common, common, you know, frame of mind that I have around it. And all of a sudden, you know, you start taking a break and you start really learning about it. And it's not just willpower. And you learn that you, you're not weak. You're not, you didn't fail at self-control. There's so many other things going on that you're finally getting, you know, your eyes open to as you kind of learn more in a community like AA or, you know, all these other online communities that exist now you really start learning about the phenomenon instead of just beating yourself up, right? And as I was taking a break, you know, like even the second weekend I didn't drink, I was like, wow, you know, like I have two weekends without alcohol. This is new, you know? <laughs> yes. And then it's like 21 days, 30 days, 50 days. You're like, I was literally like, who is this person? I don't recognize her and I'm so freaking proud of her. And it's like every single day is this little quick win that you're getting and you're adding on to your self-esteem and this confidence that you can do what you say you'll do, you know, and then you start, honestly, we live in a world of drinkers. Let's not, you know, deny that this, this culture is an alcohol centric culture. I mean, everyone is initiated into drinking in Western society. So not only are you doing something that was hard for you, you're now doing something that's different than everyone else. Right. And that can also if you tell yourself the right story can lead to a lot of confidence. Like, Hey, I'm going 50 days without drinking. None of my friends have ever done anything like that. Right. Yes. And it keeps adding on to this, this, this self-esteem that starts spilling over into other areas of your life. So if you thought you could never quit drinking and now you're smashing it, what else did you tell yourself you could never do? That is just a story, a made up story and that you can now go attempt. And I think that's the beautiful thing is not only do you find the space to really discover what you want next, you also then have the confidence and the bravery to go after it. And changing your relationship with alcohol takes so much bravery. Not only do you have to be so honest with yourself 
and, you know, really leave this comfort zone of sorts to go into the, the unknown. But you also have to do this publicly, right? Like ordering a mocktail takes bravery. Telling your friends takes bravery. Every conversation you have takes bravery. And that bravery is building within you, not just for this endeavor. It's going to be for the next one too. Because anything you want in life, anything that's big and worthwhile, sometimes it's, it's the road less traveled. And, you know, like you said, you want to start a blog or a business or something like that. There's going to be plenty of naysayers, plenty of people who want to, you know, keep you small. And it's going to take bravery to do those things too. So it's almost as if changing your relationship with alcohol trains you for the bravery that you're going to need for the next big thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I like, I like that a lot. I, I also like, you know, you write a lot about um, what, what it's done for your life and the women that you coach. Uh, what do you tell them when they, and I don't know how you would term it. You can tell me when they slip up, you know, or, or when they, when they drink, and maybe they go out and they drink just, you know, how, how, how you said you drink the gray area stuff for like another month or a week and they come back. What do you tell them? Yeah. So I think it definitely depends on where someone's at, but you know, when someone's within their first three months without alcohol or attempt to go without alcohol, they are such a beginner. Like why do we expect someone to be a hundred percent perfect and then make them feel bad when they're not, when they don't even know what they're doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I have a lot of uh, very gentle compassion at that stage. And, you know, a slip can often be a really good learning tool because like I said, I took my break in January and then I drank again in February and it was drinking again in February. Well, I don't recommend it. Like anyone go back to it. That's what actually helped me really see alcohol for what it is because I had the contrast already before it was all just a homogeneous experience. But the contrast between the dry month and drinking again was really what made something click in my mind. And so oftentimes, even a slip is a le- it's just a learning experience to really learn, oh, wow, it isn't this benign drink. It isn't just, you know, having a few with friends. It really takes a toll on me. It really lowers my mental moods. It really makes me feel low, you know, like all this stuff. And that could be really a solidifying experience for someone who, you know, wasn't thinking of it that way. And also to like have grace and compassion for themselves. The the most successful people on this planet have failed hundreds and hundreds of times. And the reason why they're successful is that they keep getting back up again. It's a game of perseverance. And if you continue to like, especially if you're wanting to take a 30 day break and you slip up on day 18, get back up again, get back up again to day 19, keep doing it. Don't let it derail you. And then, you know, as, as people transition further away from alcohol, say they're six months alcohol free for just example, and someone slips up at that point, I like to say at that point, you know, you've changed your habits so much. You've changed your daily routines. It wasn't about the drink itself. It was a feeling you believed alcohol would give you that you wanted, right? And that's where they thought that alcohol would still give them some kind of feeling. So at that point, I really work with my clients to understand what need were you trying to meet? Were you trying to feel rebellious, for example? Were you trying to escape? Were you trying to, you know, feel uh, glamorous? Like there's these different needs that we might misguidedly been using alcohol for that really um, we need to find how to meet those needs in healthy, productive type of ways. And so it's really interesting to me to find it's not about the drink. It's about the feeling you thought the drink would give you. Yeah. How can we recreate that feeling in a healthy, 
way. Alcohol took me down so many different avenues that brought me to those air quotes like places, right, that you just mentioned. Uh, basically, all it means is it, it gave me courage for a moment or two to to do something I was scared to do or maybe even to think I was something I wasn't. Whereas in sobriety, you can actually go down those roadways or avenues the same way, sober with courage. And when you get there, it's a hell of a lot more beneficial. Mm, yeah, it's real because it's real, right? I mean, the other thing is it's just like you're, you're using something outside of you to feel enough. And how is that ever going to work, right? You have to find that enoughness that's inside of you. How long do people work with you? How long, you know, because I go to meetings, uh, you know, if I don't go to meetings, we all have what we do to keep our sanity without alcohol. At least that's for me, okay? And and, and talking, honestly, conversations like this are one of the things. Um, and for me, meetings are as well. What do you tell these women you work with? Because specifically you work with women, just I don't think I mentioned that. I probably will off the top, but in case I don't. Uh, what do you tell them about the regularity and the practices and what they need to do on a day-to-day basis. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it's really about designing a life that you love. And I feel like we get stuck in life. We get stuck in these ruts and, you know, maybe we're not fulfilled with our careers or maybe we have too much responsibility at home and we feel like we're taking care of everything. Or, you know, a lot of women I work with are just so freaking productive. They're just so on all the time. Alcohol is the only thing that they use to ever turn off, right? In the society that expects them to, you know, have the job, have the kids, be in the PTA meetings, like all the things, right? And so designing a life that's fully aligned to your values and your bigger dreams is using those emotions that you're feeling when you're not drinking because normally you would drink over them, right? Uncomfortable feelings. But now you have to actually feel them. But your emotions are there to you to be your teachers. They're there to show you where you need to make shifts in your life or what you really want. You know, for example, if a woman is working all the hours at a job and taking care of her kids and feeling so frustrated with it all, that is not how she is meant to feel all the time, right? Like she needs to make a change. She needs to have a conversation with her spouse to help take care of the kids. She needs to have more boundaries maybe with her job. Maybe she needs to find a different kind of lifestyle to begin with, you know, to find more fulfillment. But these are not things that we're just meant to swallow. You know, our emotions are helping us to guide us so that we can really build a life that serves us and that's meeting our needs. We have these deep needs to relax. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to feel connected with people. We need to feel like we're doing work that matters. We need to feel taken care of and comforted sometimes too, right? And I like to help women find ways that they can really relax, actually truly relax, you know, that has that's nothing to do with alcohol, but that's actually sustainably meeting that need. And then finding the ways that they can shift their lifestyle to have more boundaries, to, to design a life that isn't so freaking stressful to begin with, if that makes sense, and really honor themselves in the process. You've, you've had hands-on research yourself, right, with your life experiences with this. Obviously, you are a woman, but I know you've probably done a lot of research on drinking and how it affects people overall. What are some of the unique differences between how it affects women and men as far as, is it harder for a woman to get sober? Is it, you know, what, 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 I guess I can only ask about women. What are the stigmas that come with that that, that women need to break? Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, there's probably differences and there are um 
they can be anecdotal and, and there could be some very, very scientific differences to how alcohol affects the body. But, you know, I find that a lot of the women I work with take things, they have a lot of cognitive dissonance. They really feel shame when they're not living their lives according to their values. You know, like the shame is very, very deep for them. And there's also no place for it. They, they feel like there's no right way to be or no right way to, to show up other than perfect. So again, this is just anecdotal. I don't want to make like no, this is stereotypical good stuff, yeah. <laughs> differences between men and women, but you know, I think the women are conditioned to really be perfect in a way. Like they have to look amazing and they have to have a great job and they have to, you know, have the perfect kids and be the perfect mom. And when they fail or they don't show up as the person they want to be, it's so damaging for their self-worth and they feel like just a constant, like they're never enough. They're never measuring up. And so dealing with those self-worth issues is a big part of a healing journey, you know, and also understanding that like when it comes to alcohol, you didn't do anything wrong. Like you did exactly what society told you to do. They told you to start drinking as like a 16 year old and to keep drinking and to do it at parties and to do it at, wine events you know what I mean like we're just doing the best we can and so letting go of all that shame I think is a very very healthy process to understand like it wasn't your fault this is like the how you've been conditioned this is how alcohol works on the brain but just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean that now you cannot take control of what you really want in your life and go for it and start making the changes there so I think women hold a lot of um a lot of a lot of shame definitely of just not being perfect. And so that might not even be the rock bottom like we described earlier. It could just be, you know, I have a lot of women I work with are moms and drinking with their kids just leads to this this big shame. Even if it's not this, you know, a huge quantity of alcohol, it's still like, oh, there's something wrong with this. There's something not right about how I'm escaping with my few glasses of wine at night when I'm doing bedtime. You know, it's a lot of that deep feelings. And I think, I think women also feel very, um, unaligned when they live life outside of their values as well. You know, if they have values of health or grace or integrity and, and they miss the mark on that, they feel it very deeply. So it, it's definitely a lot of forgiveness work, you know, of just forgiving yourself as well. And, um, and finding that like, it's okay to be true to yourself in this way. I, I meet women all the time who are like, you know, even one or two glasses makes me feel crappy. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, is this something's wrong with their bodies? You know, because I think alcohol is women process, women's bodies process alcohol um, a different way than men's, right? So really women can't drink as much at all. And so they feel that effect and they feel like something is wrong with them. Um, instead of just understanding, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Your body's telling you what it wants and needs, and it doesn't want a toxic, yeah. you know, beverage like ethanol in your body anymore. That's what it's telling you. We go from these these toxic beverages to you, your website uh, is euphor. I love the it's euphoricaf.com, but euphoric alcohol free. Uh, what yeah. is what is that? You and in your podcast too. What's your podcast called? It's called Euphoric the Podcast. Okay, Euphoric the Podcast. So. What is that euphoria or that euphoric feeling that you have found in stopping drinking? Because it's amazing. Uh, you're kind of a tenant of the same philosophy in a sense that you did not feel good drinking 
And you didn't just stop and then just stop. You now feel great not drinking. What, is, what are some of those feelings? Oh, gosh. Well, I think, you know, before I just had such a misconception over what sobriety would look like. And it just seemed like a punishment. It seemed like, oh, these people, they party too hard, they drink too much, and now they have to give up this pleasure and deny themselves the rest of their lives. Like, that's literally what I thought. And the op, like, it couldn't be further from the truth. And I'm not to say that some people don't struggle more than others or have those massive feelings of deprivation. But I think if you keep working at it and you keep uncovering the blocks around alcohol and the beliefs you have that aren't serving you and you keep doing this personal growth work, you can reach this point of true euphoria, you know. And there's a stage called the pink cloud, you know, in the AA community where really, like, you feel amazing. You feel amazing. You're showing up for yourself. You have self-love because the past version of you took care of you and you woke up feeling loved, not hungover. You know, there's a confidence that builds because you're, you, you're, you're doing something so outside of your comfort zone and you're, you're succeeding at it. Right. So it's like this new thing. Anytime you do something new and scary and you, and you, and you actually commit to it, it can feel really amazing. And something that I like to talk about as well is, a lot of people in just common society don't understand alcohol is horrible for our neurochemistry. So alcohol actually reduces our receptivity to dopamine. It reduces our serotonin levels and it reduces our GABA levels. At the same time, it's increasing all those stress hormones in your body. So what ends up happening is the natural state of a drinker is very apathetic, if not even depressed. And then when they drink, they have this huge spike of dopamine, right? And so what ends up happening as you let go of alcohol, your brain will naturally rebalance because alcohol was lowering all those good neurotransmitters that you need to feel happy. And so as your brain rebalances, and obviously this can take a few weeks and even months, you start to feel your natural state again. And to me, that was euphoric. And so it's euphoric not only to, to feel amazing again, but I looked at life differently. I remember like staring at trees and looking at clouds and having this sense of appreciation and gratitude that I never felt as a drinker. Because all of a sudden, these mundane moments, these just beautiful mundane moments in life started to be able to compete in my brain neurochemically the way that I thought alcohol did, right? It's like, as a drinker, what wins? Beer tasting or stargazing? Beer tasting will always win, right? Yeah. But you start to like really look at it and feel alive again and feel your senses coming back to you and you rediscover wonder, you know? And now today, stargazing wins hands down. And when I do things like that, I feel connected to something bigger than me and I feel so much gratitude and appreciation. And so this euphoria, it, it, it just is a cascade in so many different areas of your life because there's so much goodness coming for you. And, you know, in my book, that's really what I aim to do is uh, the first part of my book is just showing people why they should take a break from alcohol, like what they can expect, the euphoric feelings that will happen, not only because your brain rebalances, but all this, all this different stuff. You know, you're working on your self-love, you're working on your self-worth, you're building your self-esteem, you're getting more confident. You're, it's like you're redeveloping positive beliefs for yourself, you know, that are replacing these negative ones that you've been holding on for so long. And, you know, then the, the last part of my book has actually helped people do it themselves and to do it the right way. Because I do think that 
you can just let go of alcohol and still be miserable, right? (laughs) So it's not to say like (laughs) give it up and then there'll be unicorns and rainbows. There's still personal growth work involved. And so that's what I love to show people of of how can I really make this experience the best one possible and And, really truly be euphoric. And I love what you said about the neurochemistry because for me, I had no idea what recovery was going to look like or even if I was going to have one, but I was sitting in a treatment center and somebody with the same message you just delivered sat up there in front of a room full of us and it was sort of like a lecture and they, they put the, the, you know, they put the brains on the wall, you know, three months without alcohol, six months, nine months, 12 months. And you could see the fog lifting or, you know, the brain chemistry kind of recalibrating. And I was in, so you're telling me there's science behind this, that I'm going to feel better if I, if, if I don't drink, uh, And from that point, and it's so true. I remember asking the guy so I can go to a movie and, and, and have, and have soda and popcorn and chocolate and I'll get the same feeling I did when I was like nine. And he was like, yes. And I remember thinking like, (laughs) I remember thinking like, okay, let's, let's do this. And that is a real thing. It's a real thing. You know, you can read about it, whatever. Uh, another thing I want to ask you about, I'll let you go in a little bit, but this is always, you always deal with this. Now you were, you were married when you got, uh, when you stopped drinking, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. You're still married? Yeah. Okay, so what do you tell women about dating? Because that's a big thing. Uh, people have people have struggled with that uh, when they first, when they stopped drinking, right? A single woman dating or a single guy dating, there's a lot of fear. I drank alcohol so I could talk to females. Absolutely, you know, and it's so interesting because, uh, like, you, you, you mentioned how science and like really having facts like really helped you. Um, here's a fact that we are actually less attracted to drinkers. Studies prove that as people drink throughout the night, we become less attracted to them. So it's so interesting. We have this idea again, that I need alcohol to be confident, to relax, to be smooth, to be charismatic. And it's completely the opposite that ends up happening. And what really happens, which I'm sure you have evidence of in your life. I have evidence in my life. Alcohol completely blocked my intuition. You know, like when I was dating, when I was younger, before I was married, I always drank, you know, on dates and and when I was hanging out with other men and it blocks your intuition. It doesn't even allow you to determine, do I really like this person? (laughs) Do I really have anything in common with them? Alcohol makes the decision for you, right? And so while dating can obviously, yes, like there's, there's an awkwardness to it. You're meeting someone new. Like we are meant to feel that and go through that with someone together and have that be something that we can connect with. So just like a tactic, I always recommend women, you know, really ask someone to go and do something fun for a first date. That doesn't revolve around going to a bar, you know, maybe even outside of dinner. Like why not go for a hike or why not go bowling or just do something a little different so that you can truly get to know each other. And if someone's not interested in that, maybe they're just not that interested in getting to know you or they don't have the emotional intelligence or maturity to be able to be comfortable with you without a drink. And that can also be a really telling sign as well. And so what I think ends up happening, you know, Pete, like I have this theory that the biggest go-getters in our world are non-drinkers. People that I admire so much, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, uh, Gabby Bernstein, Brene Brown, uh, Dave Hollis, all of these people that I really admire as just this incredible go-getters in their life. They're all non-drinkers. They're all either sober or non-drinkers. So when I think of someone dating, I don't think of like, okay, this is all going to be awkward and, and, you know, some people might not react well. 
well, good. The people who do don't react well probably aren't, you know, someone you should be with or form a relationship with because they have their own issues that they need to work through. So really what ends up happening is you can start attracting the high-level, high-vibe type of people into your life that have the emotional intelligence and maturity to really want to form a deep relationship with you. You know, like so many entrepreneurs don't drink, so many athletes don't drink. Instead of thinking that this is this thing that makes you abnormal or makes you somehow defect from our society, why not think of it as a superpower? Why not think of it as a way to like meet other people who are also on the same wavelength as you? If that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of the mindset behind it. And, um, you know, obviously the first date, it's a conversation, but some people I know just put it in their dating profile, like dog lover, non-drinker, you know, and move on and, and see what happens. <laughs> it is. And it, and it is a good conversation. And it's another one of those things too, where if you've got it out there, it's a, sort of an esteem builder because you tackle these difficult, difficult conversations. And another thing you touched on is you don't end up being with anyone who likes you or anyone who's sitting across from you, you're able to choose, you get to choose now. You know, you're yeah. sober, you have that esteem that's not gonna go away when you stop having cocktails and, and you realize, okay, I'm, I'm worth it. Do I like this person? I always tell people, I try to tell myself that too, uh, and I, I've told sponsees before, um, you know, hey, do you like this person? Like, it's okay for you to choose. And, and I've found that really has worked out for me. Um, just kind of looking across and being like, okay, like this is what I want. And I think that's, I think that's so important. I got a couple more things for you, but, but before I let you go, what is your, what is your podcast about? What, what can people find in your podcast? Absolutely. So it's about the euphoric life without alcohol. Um, and so we, we talk about not only changing your relationship with alcohol, but really what it means to affirm a non-drinking identity in this society and how that makes you a rebel, a leader, you know, a forward thinker. You know, we talked about some statistics earlier. There's new studies coming out every year that just show how bad alcohol is for our entire health. Like, it's not just for over drinkers or problem drinkers that should be looking into their relationship with alcohol. Anyone can benefit from it, you know? Like, not to be a prohibitionist, but I think anyone deserves to look into it because if it gives you more joy and self-esteem, why wouldn't we want that for more people? But, you know, there's this one study that came out that a bottle of wine is the equivalent of 10 cigarettes. So it's like alcohol is the new cigarette. One drink reduces your lifespan by 30 minutes. I mean, it's just this like if, if we really want to be these healthy, uh, mindful, personal growth people, you know, like alcohol really is something that kind of comes up for question of whether it's serving our lifestyles or not. So is this it? podcast is all about how amazing life is without alcohol. And we also bring on guests that offer you know, a lot more to teach about your own self-discovery as you're going through this journey. So just for example, we had this great lady on the other um, few months ago who talked about astrology and how like astrology, like different signs have different patterns and how they might relate to alcohol and then how to like find your own freedom. So just kind of like fun stuff like that, but also really deep, you know, self-worth issues and reclaiming, you know, your dreams um, through an alcohol-free lifestyle. Here, I need you to look into your crystal ball here. Uh, will the sober curious movement, is it here to stay? I, I was at a Whole Foods uh, and, and asked them about the non-alcoholic beverages, and they said that's the fastest seller in the store as far as beverages are concerned. I mean, this movement has really picked up steam. The sober curious, is that here to stay? What do you think? Absolutely. Um, like the way that 
cigarettes came and went in our society. You know, obviously people still smoke today, but I live in California and I don't know a single person in my life's life that smokes cigarettes, right? That wasn't true 20 years ago. That wasn't true 50 years ago, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to have the same trajectory, but I think that we are getting more health-minded as a society and we're also deeply interested in true consciousness and connection. And alcohol just doesn't, just doesn't meet into that, just doesn't fit into that. They say that Generation Z is the uh, lightest drinking population of all the generations. There are a lot of non-drinkers, like 40% of them don't drink, right? Uh, 46% of all Americans have tried a non-alcoholic beverage over the last year. And most Americans actually want to drink less or not at all, you know? So I think it's like we're finally being honest about it, really calling alcohol for what it is and finding these new alternatives. You know, most people start drinking socially, right? What if your social life didn't need to come with a side of hangovers? What if we changed that paradigm to begin with? Why should the alcohol industry dominate nightlife and what it means to connect with people, right? What if we completely changed the paradigms of things like that? So I think it's here to stay, and I think we'll continue to see, you know, more and more options for people. Because, like, if I go to a, a bar or I go somewhere, a restaurant, for example, and they have nothing to drink for me other than water or something alcoholic, I mean, do they care about me getting home safely? Like, if I'm pregnant, if I'm trying to be healthy, like, what is that saying, you know? It, <laughs> yeah, it's a really right. actually a very I've never even thought of that. Yeah, that's very interesting. Right. Yeah. You know, and so I think that I think we're getting just more healthier, more uh, conscious about it. And I also think, too, when it comes to just technology and the way that we're evolving as humans, alcohol is carcinogenic. It's toxic. It causes cancer. It causes heart disease. It lowers your lifespan. It creates all of this. Uh, when you look at like the GDP of like time and productivity loss, it's horrible for our economy. And so I think as just we become more evolved as a species. There's no way in a hundred years that we're going to continue drinking this, this toxic chemical. We'll invent something new, honestly, something better, something that doesn't have these side effects. Like that's just the way I see it. What? And we'll look back at our generation and be like, oh, those poor schmucks were drinking all that <laughs> alcohol. Just, like the cigarettes. just the same way we look at people who were smoking on planes, you yeah. know, 70 years ago. What about the number one? You're obviously so well versed on this and educated on this topic. What What's the number one? like statistic or fact that jumps out at you about, about living sober or, or, or about drinking in that gray area? What's one of the things that just springs out of you? Yeah. So I think it's around 60% of Americans want to drink less or not at all. And I think that's so telling because it's not even drinkers who want to drink less. That's all Americans, right? So that's how they, they group that study. And actually 60% of uh, all drinkers drink misuse alcohol, right? And so what ends up happening, I think, is if anyone's questioning their relationship, they feel alone, they feel different, they feel like something's wrong with them, they feel all of these feelings, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. Most drinkers go through this. The majority of drinkers do go through something like this, right? And I think that that is a really good piece of knowledge because the next time you're at a party and you're feeling weird about, you know, having just a glass of water or you just feel singled out or you feel like the odd one out or something. Other people at that party have the same feelings that you did a few years ago or a few months ago, and you can now be the role model for them, right? So it's like, I work with so many clients who are like, oh, I'm not sure what to say at this networking event or what my boss is going to think or all these things. We forget to assume, what if they feel exactly how you yeah. felt? Uh-huh. They feel exactly the same way. Yeah. 
and and you could actually be the inspiration that they needed to see to think of it differently. Like instead of feeling like the outcast, what if you are the leader? Yeah, we say, you know, uh, think about what you can bring to the situation, not what you can take from it. Mm. Okay, anything. It's not about you, right? It's no, bigger than you. <laughs> it's way bigger than us. Okay, anything else now? Because this has been like really, really good. And, and anything else uh, you, you, you want to drop on us before I let you go? You know, it's just been a great opportunity to talk to you and I go deeper into, you know, more facts and statistics, but especially more uh, just incredible benefits you can get from the alcohol-free lifestyle in my book. And also it's set up with an eight-week plan to help someone guide them through it. And even if someone's already like taking a break, I always say like, or non-drinking already, you know, alcohol is kind of like that phantom limb. You know, we still live in this society that glorifies it. And even if you've been alcohol-free for a while, it can be, that phantom limb syndrome can happen, you know, where phantom limb, these, phantom limb, you know, like when you, yeah. uh, someone gets amputated and they yes. can still feel gotcha. their limb. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you don't have that, you know, you're living alcohol free, but every so often, you know, you could have a, a spark of like, Oh, maybe I do or want some or something. So I call it affirming the alcohol free identity is you continue to affirm this new identity by really rooting your own philosophy about it and within it. So if anyone's interested in the book, it's called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. It will help anyone go alcohol-free, but also to affirm that alcohol-free identity and really feel, like you said, that pride about it, like just really proud about it so that it starts becoming a beacon of hope and possibility and not a problem, not something that you're ashamed of or embarrassed about, but really a way that you stand out and honestly start causing a ripple effect to the people around you. Caroline, I can't thank you enough. It was a, this is a difference maker. So I thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thank you so much. It was such an honor to be here, and I really enjoyed our conversation too. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.